Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down out of heaven so that anyone may eat from it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever, and the bread which I will give for the life of the world also is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, the one who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So then many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This statement is very unpleasant. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, aware that his disciples were complaining about this, said to them, Is this offensive to you? So what do you think? Was that offensive to you? Did you think that you left the scriptures and suddenly we were in a vampire story? (laughs) Apparently it was offensive to many of Jesus' disciples. Because just a few verses later, in John chapter 6, verse 66, we have these words. As a result of this, many of his disciples left and would no longer walk with him. And it's left to the twelve. If you follow along in the story, he then looks at the twelve apostles who are left, and he says, do you want to leave too? And Peter sort of says to him a strange thing, like, well, kind of in for a penny, in for a pound. I mean, where else are we going to go? We gave up everything for you. But I think they all thought they had gotten into a little more than they expected when Jesus started saying things like this. What was Jesus talking about in these verses? Was he promoting cannibalism? Was Jesus preparing us for the eating of what the Roman Catholic tradition calls the Mass? or what we in the Protestant tradition call communion, or the Lord's Supper? I think the answer to both of those questions is no. No, this is not a promotion of cannibalism. And no, I don't think it's a reference to some sort of a ritualized meal that Christians eat together in worship services. How do I know? Well, Jesus' comments in these verses were actually an attempt to explain something he had said a little bit earlier in the gospel. This is in John chapter 6 and verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So whatever Jesus meant by the fact that his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink, he did not mean it in the way that his listeners heard it. Even so, it seems like a large number of Jesus' disciples left him because they thought at some point he was going to start carving himself up. Is is this a good passage to explain Christianity to somebody? What do you think? (laughs) Well, let's see. What Jesus was getting at in these verses, and what I'm going to say is so very simple and yet may feel very complicated. But if it feels complicated, just say to yourself over and over again, this is simple. (laughs) Maybe you'll convince yourself. What Jesus is getting at in these verses is that all life, 
depends on the life of another. All life depends on the life of another. No living thing on this earth is self-contained. Everything that lives depends on something else for its life, usually a lot of something else's. You and I extend our lives every day at the expense of other living things. That's how you're still here. If you ever stop doing that, your life would dissipate. When we eat plant-based food, we borrow life from plants that produced it. When we eat animal-based foods, we extend our lives at the expense of the lives of the animals. The plants, too, are taking nutrients from the soil, which has been enriched by the work of microbes, along with the decaying bodies of dying things. To say it another way, all living things must feed in order to extend their lives. They must. And that's hardly a revolutionary thought. I hope you learned that, like, early, early in school. You probably learned it before then, I hope. But what Jesus was doing in these verses was he was pushing that observation further. If all life depends on the life of another, then what is the source of it? Where does it begin? One thing dies and feeds another thing that lives, and then that thing dies and feeds another thing that lives, and then that thing dies and feeds another thing that lives. Anybody want to sing the circle of life from The Lion King? (laughs) It's a terrible song. Can you imagine singing that with such joy? Everything dies and we eat it. Ah, Hit the high note. Once that process starts, it can appear to be self-perpetuating. It looks like it could go on forever, but how did it get started? Where was the initial input of energy that's being constantly recycled? Nobody knows. But the Bible does say, what is the source of life? In today's language, Jesus was asking a meta-question. Right? This is a meta-question, worthy of the metaverse, maybe. And it's an interesting question. Where does it all start? But more interesting than the question is Jesus' answer to it, because he answered it. What feeds all living things? What is the source of all life? And Jesus, a Jewish man is how he appeared, in the first century said, me. Jesus himself claimed to be the source of all of that. And so he goes on to say that nothing can live unless it eats the flesh and drinks the blood of Jesus himself. Did you hear that? That was in John chapter 6, verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. Well, these were living people. I imagine he was saying that too. So the implication is that right then, in order to live, they were being supported by him. That's what he was claiming. Now, what was not clear to many of Jesus' disciples, and maybe not clear to many of us today, is that he was claiming to be God in human flesh. Given that claim, Jesus' revelation is that God is the source of all life. Now, if we had read the Gospel of John from the beginning, if we had read all the way from chapter 1, we would have already seen that the Gospel begins with that very claim. But Jesus had not revealed that to his disciples yet. As far as they knew, he was a human man. That's what he looked like. He was godly and good, and up until this point appeared to be wise. Now they're questioning that. Jesus wouldn't reveal who he really was. 
until a discussion recorded in John chapter 14, verses 7 through 10, and this is probably years later. According to John, that discussion went this way. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and when he says the word Father, he's talking about God. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long a time, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus is doing something similar here that uh, on television they do an undercover boss. Have you seen that show? where the CEO of the company dresses up like some common person in the mailroom and works among the people and then eventually reveals that he's the CEO. It's essentially what Jesus is doing. God has cloaked himself in human flesh and he's lived amongst us as one of us and Jesus is hoping that after all this time with him, the disciples would have actually known who he was and they didn't. To return to Jesus' claim that his flesh was real food and his blood was real drink, Jesus was reminding the people of his day that all life depends on the life of another. And therefore, all life fundamentally depends on the life of God. And this is actually what Christians believe about the world. That it has been created and is being sustained by the life of God. We think of creation as an act of sharing. Creation is an act through which God has determined to share his life with other lives. In fact, according to Jesus... Nothing can live if God does not share his life with it. So for Christians, this is what has been summarized in the story of the creation of humanity. We find the following in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Pay careful attention to the language. Then the Lord God formed the man, the human, of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life And the man became a living person or a living being. How did the man become? How did the human become a living being? God breathed. God shared his life with humanity. God breathed his life into the dust and the human became a living being. This is what Jesus meant when he said his flesh was real food and his blood was real drink. All those to whom he was then speaking were living off of his life. And all of us sitting here today, too, are living off of his life. Jesus was being devastatingly earnest when he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in in yourselves. Another way of saying it is, unless unless God breathed into you and is still breathing into you, you would not be. But there's more to this because the life that God has shared with us is temporary. He has not agreed to share his life with you or with me forever. It's not an indefinite offering. All life in this world ends and becomes the food for life in another form. That's the world in which you and I have been raised. God's agreed to share his life, but only temporarily. Life is only lent to God's creatures. It can never be possessed by them. And this is what Jesus meant when he said the following. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. 
The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. The one who eats me, he will also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, the one who eats this bread will live forever. Because all life depends on the life of God. Jesus, as God in the flesh, has informed us that only God can choose to extend life indefinitely. That is a choice of God. Even more, Jesus has revealed to us that God will only extend life indefinitely in those who remain in him. Well, what does that mean? Have we departed from God in some way? And the answer is yes. We haven't. It happened long before you or I were born. If we were to return to Genesis chapter 2, the passage about the creation of humanity continues in verse 8. It says, The Lord God planted a garden towards the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused every tree to grow that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When God first created humanity, he placed humanity in a garden full of generous trees. These are loving trees. They shared their lives willingly. You didn't have to take their life from them. They produced fruit. And just as God had shared his life to bring humanity into being, God created life-sharing trees, fruit trees, that would allow the human to extend their lives. In addition to these, generous life-extending trees were two other trees. The tree of life, which is a tree that could extend life indefinitely, and the tree of knowledge. I'm going to start with the tree of knowledge. What was the tree of knowledge? The text tells us that it was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it's not a tree of the concepts of good or evil. It's not a tree by which you could learn moral good and moral evil. This text was written in the Hebrew language originally. And good and evil in Hebrew are experiential terms. They're very practical terms. They're not these abstract terms as we tend to use in the, in the West. This tree was a tree full of knowledge. Some of it helpful good, some of it hurtful, bad, evil. It was a tree of data. It was a tree of discovery. It was a tree of information. It was Google. It was not a tree of wisdom. It was simply a means of learning things. Some of those things would be helpful, that's good. Some of those things would be hurtful, those were evil. Which were which? Don't know. You've got to try them. It was just the tree of knowledge. Now the question that burdens the West and burdens us today in our highly scientific age is this. Was this a real garden with real trees? What am I being described to here? Well, let me ask you a question. Was Jesus' flesh real food? And Jesus' blood real drink? To ask that question another way, is God really the source of all life? Yes, he really is the source of all life. So as God in the flesh, Jesus' body and blood is real food. And yet, if they had killed Jesus and cannibalized him, would they have lived forever? No. We in Western cultures tend to think of the material as more real than the spiritual. Which is a strange thing. 
So when we ask if something is real, we're asking if it's a material reality, right? Real things are made of protons, neutrons, and electrons, right? But you know, more foundational than the material is the spiritual. In science, they call the spiritual information and energy. Information and energy. In scripture, it's called word and spirit. In science, it's called information and energy. In the scriptures, word and spirit. This is the most fundamental thing. In the scriptures, material things are less real than spiritual things. God, after all, is the source of all life. And Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is spirit. For the scriptures, the spiritual, if you're a scientific person, information and energy is the source of the material. If you're a Christian, word and spirit is the source of creation, not the other way around. God created the world. The world did not create God. So back to our question. Was this a real garden with real trees? Yes. It was a spiritual garden with spiritual trees. So then it wasn't real. No, it was real. Well, then what did it look like? Do you mean what did it look like to human eyes on the earth? I don't know. What did God look like when he was with the disciples? Did he look like God? He looked like a human male. That's how he had garbed himself. So what did it look like? I don't know. What I do know is that through God's eyes, which is who Genesis is told from, those first chapters of Genesis is told from God's perspective. Through God's eyes, spiritually, it was a garden full of life-giving trees with two trees at its center. One tree that would grant eternal life and one that would grant knowledge. But our question is, well, what did that look like on the earth? What did Adam and Eve see? Well, I think I can suggest something based on Jesus' teaching. God looked like a human man when he took on flesh in the person of Jesus. Therefore, the garden probably looked like any other orchard on the earth. What did the tree of life and the tree of knowledge look like? Now that's the real question, right? And here's the answer, because they're with us still. The tree of life looked to Adam and to Eve like a relationship with God. And the tree of knowledge looked like the earth. Did you catch what Jesus has been telling us in our passage in John? To eat from the tree of life, one must remain in Jesus. Relationship with God is the tree of life. Eternal life can only be given by Jesus. Relationship with God through Jesus is the tree of life. When humanity was first created, what did the tree of life look like to humans? It looked like a relationship with God. It looked like walking with God in the cool of the day. That's how it's said in the garden. God walked with humans in the cool of the day. That relationship, that experience was the tree of life as seen from the earth. It was a tree as seen from the heavens. But from the earth, it looked like walking with God and talking with him regularly. When humanity was first created, then what did the tree of knowledge look like? What did that look like? We know what it looked like from God's perspective. The earth is a garden. It's got two trees in the middle of it. One is the tree of life, which is relationship with God. The other is the tree of knowledge. Well, what did that look like? Well, it looked like the earth. It looked like sensations and feelings, like experiences and adventures, like oceans and mountains and caves and canyons. It looked like an endless field of exploration. 
and humanity wanted to study it and they wanted to learn about reality through reverse engineering it and uncovering the secrets that were buried within it. Scripture tells us that humanity chose to eat from the tree of knowledge and that therefore God barred them from the tree of life. Scripture has described what really happened from a spiritual perspective, but what happened from an earthly perspective, which is a far less real perspective. The scriptures tell us that the earth is a shadow and the spirit is the reality. So what happened from an earthly perspective? From an earthly perspective, humanity refused to be taught and guided by God and decided to seize whatever knowledge they wanted at whatever pace they wanted in whatever way they wanted. Humanity wanted to guide our own development, and so we rejected God as our shepherd and as our mentor. And in doing that, we walked away from God. And so in response, God separated us from himself. He barred us from the tree of life. And from that day on, humanity's life became temporary and all of creation began to die. This is the world into which you and I were born. Scripture does tell us that it was another spiritual being, one that was created by God as well, who suggested to the humans that God wanted to control human development because God was afraid of what humans would become. This being is called the serpent in Genesis. The serpent suggested that God knew that if humans ate freely from the tree of knowledge, they would become gods themselves and then God would no longer be able to control them. And that God was afraid of. And that was appealing to humans. You know, nobody likes the boss man who's telling me what to do. And he's afraid that if I do what he tells me not to do, he won't be able to control me. And so the serpent said, hey, stick your finger in the eye of that thing, man. You've got to take knowledge for yourself. And that was appealing to humans. So they rejected the tree of life and they began to eat from the tree of knowledge. And we are eating from it still. We still believe to this day that if we eat from the tree of knowledge, that is, if we reverse engineer creation to find its secrets, we will become like God. The good news that God took on human flesh in the person of Jesus to declare to us, the reason he did the undercover boss thing, the reason he put on flesh and walked among us, was to try to explain to us that God had not given up yet on humanity. However long ago the events described in Genesis occurred, God has continued to share his life with life on earth. God has not yet withdrew his breath from our lungs. He's not yet left us to return to the dust from whence we came. In fact, God has offered another way for us to return to the tree of life, to become again his students, to begin again the process of learning from God at God's pace and not at our own. And that way is Jesus. Through Jesus, we can sit again at the feet of God and learn from him. And those who will remain there and live out what they learn from God, do the homework he assigns, God will allow them to eat from the tree of life. That is, God has promised to extend their lives indefinitely. However, in order to return to God, we must give up the right that we have claimed for ourselves to determine our own scope and sequence to determine our own curriculum, the pace of our own development. There's nothing evil about knowledge. Clearly all knowledge is God's knowledge. Everything humanity has discovered is latent knowledge left there by the creation of God. The danger of knowledge is not in itself, it's in the receiving of knowledge at the wrong stage of development 
It's at the using of it without fully appreciating the consequence of its use or the putting of it to uses for which it was never intended in the first place. The danger of knowledge is idiots discovering it. The ignorant using it. And how many times have we eaten from the tree of knowledge and put our stuff into practice and watched lives be destroyed because we didn't realize what we were doing? How many times? We must be willing to submit to God's tutelage. We must be willing to do the homework that God has given us to do. In short, we have to return to God and become his disciples. Our world has been built by knowledge acquired by the reverse engineering of creation. We've then experimented with what we've acquired as we have seen fit. Jesus has offered us not simply knowledge, but wisdom that might be acquired by apprenticeship to the God who created the world that we have spent millennia trying to understand. What we find in the teachings of Scripture as they've been filled full by the teachings and example of Jesus is the truest knowledge of the world taught to us by the very God who created us and all that is. But to become his disciples, we must turn from the tree of knowledge. That is, from our independent thirst for experiences and knowledge guided only by our desires and our ambitions and our fears. We must return to God. The scriptures call that repentance, that turn to God. Maybe you might ex consider accepting God's offer of apprenticeship today, because that's what he's offering you. He's offering to become your teacher. The world as you and I now experience it, is a world bit built by the eating of the tree of knowledge. You tell me, was the serpent right? Is this a better world? You like it? We built this. God did not build this. We built this. We built this by reverse engineering creation and doing the best we could. What do you think? It's good for some, but for many it's a crushing place. The teachings preserved for us in the Christian scripture as interpreted and embodied by Jesus and by his apostles show us the way out of that world and into the world as it might have been, as it should have been, as it will be again when God brings the material world back into harmony with the spiritual world, that is back into relationship with God. Scripture describes this as the coming of the new heavens and the new earth, when God again dwells with humans on the earth. To know what the world might have been if humanity decided to guide its own education, you need only to look around. You and I were born in that world. We live in it every single day. This is the world humanity has made. However, if we want to find a description of the world as it might have been, had humanity followed God from the beginning, Jesus has provided that to us. The most succinct description can be found in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. If you want to see what the world might have been, Jesus has described it there. And I'd encourage you to read it and ask yourself which world you would rather live into. For those who long for the world Jesus has described, we would be honored to walk with you as we follow Jesus together. The tree of knowledge, though, has had an effect on all who call themselves Christians, too. It's had its effect on us. We're not yet as we should be, so you'll need to be forgiving. And we promise that we'll be forgiving of you too. But what we all share in common is the belief that Jesus is our rightful teacher. And we will learn from him what must be unlearned from our former instructors. If you're ready, God's invitation has been offered to us in Jesus. Let's become God's apprentices, God's disciples, as we learn from Jesus and watch the world into which he leads us take shape.
Amen.